Good morning, everybody. I gotta get turned down just a little bit. I feel like I'm blowing out my eardrum. How you doing? How you doing? There's like some groans from the front. Great. From what I hear, it's not as hot as it was last week, so you should be a little more lively, right? Um, so I'm, I'm Deshaun. If, um, if I don't know your face, you don't know my face. Uh, I'm social pastor here. Uh, in preparation for for this, this sermon, Corey had asked me to, to start us off or to continue on the off-season um, series that he started last week. And wouldn't you know it, my topic is on prayer. And when you're busy, what's like the one thing that you forget to do? It's like pray, right? You like set aside time for prayer. You're like, I'll say a prayer on the go, like, right? Like I'm not, I'm going to just do one of those like, Jesus, I'm here. I'm good. Is there anything you say? Okay, I'm good. Let's, let's just keep rolling, right? That's how I felt like my week was. It was like a lot of these on-the-go prayers. And I started to feel bad about it. I started to feel like, man, ah, Jesus probably, you know, I, I don't know if, he, if we're, that relationship, we've, it's getting a little bit distant. I, I start, you know how you get like when you were dating and, and you didn't talk to, to your, your uh, loved one for a little while or, and you started to feel that distance growing? That's how it felt. That's not right, because it's Jesus. It's not my girlfriend, right? And so I had to hone back in on the word, and that's, I'm glad to know that, that Jesus spoke to me this week and told me, hey, it's okay, I'm not going to break up with you like your girlfriend did in middle school. All right, so no, the off-season. Um, Corey started last week and talked about 1 Corinthians 9, um, verses uh, tw- 19 to 27. And he talked about how in, in this letter, uh, this letter that Paul wrote, Paul was the apostle of all apostles. He wrote a great deal of the New Testament. Uh, he was inspired by, by the Holy Spirit. He, he went to the ends of his known world to spread the gospel. And he writes this letter to this church in this town called Corinth. And in Corinth, it's a, no, it's a town that's known for its sports, kind of like Canton, right? It's second uh, most popular city for these Olympic-type games. They're called the Isthmian Games. And so Paul writes this letter to them, understanding the language that he needs to speak to communicate with them, right? And so that's why it makes sense to use this, this sermon series called The Off-Season, because he tells them in this letter, he says, listen, I understand the culture that you're coming from. I understand the context that you're in. I get what's happening around you. You are a church that's in a place that's doing all kinds of stuff that's great, but you are set apart. You are to live a little bit differently. He says, this culture you're in, you're being pulled and tugged right from left uh, with tensions of immorality or living under the obedience of Christ, and you don't know where to go. You're, you're still kind of battling with that, like, am I with Christ or am I with my culture? Sometimes when we're living in our current culture, it's hard to know what should I, how, how do I represent Christ and how do I engage with the culture? How, how do I live in the world but not be of the world, like that's the tension that we live in. So this letter makes a lot of sense because he's telling them, look, I'm going to tell you how to do that, okay? And so he uses this sports language, and I'm sorry if sports doesn't relate to you. Sports relates to me. I grew up in a house with four boys. My mom, poor, poor lady, she wanted a daughter. I was supposed to be the daughter. My name was going to be Deborah. <laughs> I'm glad I wasn't. I mean, I know a Deborah. Oh, four, that's right, I forgot. <laughs> oh my gosh. I was supposed to be a Deborah. I ended up a Deshaun, and I'm, I'm very grateful. No offense, ladies. 
but, but my household was all sports, so I relate to that. And so when Paul talks about this metaphor of living out your Christian walk, running after the prize of the kingdom as an athlete would do, it makes total sense to me. I grew up playing sports. I played like three sports until I was in, in high school. And it wasn't because I was too short to stop playing basketball. It's because it was too much money for me to play four sports, three sports. But I, I understand this lingo. I understand the, the, the idea of training, training, training until you accomplish a certain level of what expertise, a certain level of competency, right? And so Paul emphasizes that just as an athlete trains to win the prize, believers should be constantly training our minds, training our hearts, training our bodies in preparation for spreading the gospel. Like that's our number one motivation. That's our prize. Just like LeBron James went to L.A. because his number one motivation is to what? Win titles, right? Our number one motivation, you're disagreeing with me, you think it's legacy, aren't you? Okay. Our number one motivation as Christians is to establish the kingdom of God wherever we are in whatever context we're in. If you're in high school, if you're in college, if you're in the music industry, if you're a teacher, establishing or ushering in the kingdom of God wherever you are in whatever way he suits you to do so. And so in this series, the off season, Corey mentioned this idea that you have the regular season, you have the postseason, you have you know, playoffs, and then you have the off season. The off season usually is when some athletes go on vacation, they ride on banana boats, they go skiing, um, they, some of them make bad decisions uh, and, and use performance-enhancing drugs. Um, but the real champions, the ones who are committed to winning championships, these athletes know that this is when the hard work is actually done. There is no off season. It's an illusion, Right? They have maybe like a week to be with their families, but it's an illusion because the off-season does not exist for someone who is con absolutely committed to winning a championship. And so that's where, we, that's where we're at today. Um, basically, the sum up 1 Corinthians 9, 25 to 27, the way Corey talked about last week, is train like a champion to win the prize. And again, for us, if you're a believer, the prize is what? The kingdom of God, wherever you are, right? So if, if that reference does not make any sense to you at all whatsoever. If you don't get sports, you don't understand the regular season, postseason, come talk to me afterwards. We'll bring it. But with that in mind, this idea of training like a champion, as a Christian, as a believer, there's this concept of being disciplined. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear the word discipline, I think back to one specific occurrence when my mom made me go out and get a switch from the yard, pick out the best one that I could, and of course, as a kid, you pick out like the dry, crunchy one that's going to snap. She made me go back out and get the nice limber one that snapped. Now, this was in Kenya, so this was not like, it was like child abuse or anything. This was just like regular everyday life. I don't know if they do that anymore. Use your hands or the switch. I'm not sure. But that's the word you think of when you think of discipline, right? In this context, though, when we're talking about spiritual disciplines, it actually means practices or habits routines, uh, things that you ingrain into your everyday life so that you grow. It's like an athlete working out. That's a discipline, right? It's like, uh, it's like someone who wants to climb a mountain, training constantly to build up the muscles and the endurance to climb and to not die on the mountain, right? That's discipline. And so when we're talking about spiritual disciplines, it's these habits and practices 
that Christians throughout history have fostered to develop championship lifestyles. Today, specifically, when we're talking about prayer, prayer is a discipline. It's something you have to practice, something you have to do constantly and consistently to get better at, something you you become more comfortable with. Who here can say that they have at some point in their lives been uncomfortable with prayer? If if you don't have your hand raised, um, come talk to me. I want to know the secret, right? Because when you begin praying, it's weird, right? It's awkward. It's the first time you say a prayer, it's like, all right, um, do, I, do I talk to the ceiling or do I close my eyes? Or do I bow my head? And, there's something awkward about approaching God because we know that we're stepping into something that's bigger than us. And so today we're going to delve into that a little bit as to how you develop that habit of prayer. So the first point I have is praying is primarily about a relationship with God, not about you. I'll say that again. Praying is primarily about God, not about us. When, when you're sitting there and you're, as a kid and you want to ask for something, what's the first thing you ask for? Like you ask for the, the biggest thing on your list. Like you're like, I want this, right? And a lot of us have approached prayer in that way. Praying is not primarily about what you want from God. On the other hand, praying is also not about you telling God what you did wrong. Now, some of us who maybe have grown up in church or grown up in religious circles, maybe we think that when we approach God, it's about just like, God, I got to tell you all these things I did wrong. I thought this, I said this, I thought that I said this, I, I said this, and then I acted this way. And, I, and the focus is on who? Me. You're, you're, you're confessing to God, but your focus is totally on yourself. And praying is about a relationship with God, about Him, about His glory, not about you, what you have done, what you've screwed up, what you've messed up, what you've done great, what you want. And Jesus teaches us how to pray, and I want to turn to our first passage with me. Something you've probably heard before, a passage you've read or heard somewhere. And He teaches about how to pray in Matthew 6, 9, and 10. So if you have your Bible with you, Turn there to Matthew 6, 9, and 10, or follow along on the screen. You can use your electronic devices. Um, and so in this passage, this is, what, this is what Jesus says. He says, let me set the context actually for you. When Jesus is, is teaching something, he uses parables. He uses these stories, these little stories to make a point. And so in this passage, what he's doing is is he's talking to people about how to pray because he knows that there is a certain concept of prayer. Certain people know how to pray in this this culture. It's the Pharisees. The Pharisees were, they were high. I mean, they, they were like high in the society. They had these crazy robes with these bars all over them and gold. And they would appear on the scene and everybody would know that a Pharisee was there. Like it was like the bump, it's like they had a bumper video everywhere they went. Everybody just noticed. Pharisees are here. They were that esteemed in this culture. And he juxtaposes that with somebody who would be the most despised, a tax collector. How many of you pay taxes? Okay. How many of you love paying taxes? Okay, JD. I don't believe that. Not for one second. Taxes have been reviled for like ever. And these guys not only took taxes from people, But then they took like an extra cut for themselves. And so they were really despised. They did this to their own people. And so Jesus juxtaposes 
this Pharisee, rich, well-known, well-esteemed, supposed to be religious, to this really despised individual. And in this passage, he talks about how they approach, these two hypothetical individuals approach God's throne. And so he says, when you pray, pray like this, our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Jesus reminds us that through this prayer, like in just the wording of this prayer, what's the first subject that he addresses? He says, our Father. Like he's looking to God first before asking for anything else. He's saying, if you're going to pray, pray like this. This puts his focus on God and then bringing up your needs or requests. And Jesus understands that God's desire is for a personal, intimate relationship with each one of us. But it begins with acknowledging who he is first. In Genesis, Jesus is only reflecting what's happened already in Genesis. In Genesis, God's intent from the very beginning was a personal relationship with each one of us. Now, I don't know if you've ever been back through Genesis and read through, like, you know, how God created and the creative process and all these things that he did. But God created some really dope things. It was incredible. Like, you think about what had to have happened. He created the cosmos, the stars. If you've ever looked at Hubble, te- Hubble, Hubble telescope pictures, you look out and you go, I don't even know what I'm looking at, but it's incredible. Those colors don't even exist in my spectrum. Wow, right? And if my son was in here, he'd be like, yeah, God created the oxaddle, which is like this little salamander that like regenerates its arms. God created the goblin shark, which is the most hideous creature I've ever seen. It lives in the deep sea, and nobody even knew they existed until they washed up on shore. God created the peregrine falcon, which is his favorite because it's so fast and it swoops down and it grabs things. Like these are the things that God created, right? These incredible things. And when you become a parent, you get to learn a lot about, like, animals because you just watch kids' shows all the time, wild crats and stuff. But God created these things. They're incredible. But the pinnacle of his creation was human beings. Like the top of his creation, when he said everything was good, and then he's like, no, you know what? I'm going to create someone in my image. Let's create someone in our image. God created human beings to be that bearer of his image. And so when you're sitting there thinking, how can I relate to God? How can I, I, can't, I don't even know how to approach God. I don't know how to speak to God. Just remember that he has created you in his image and his purpose. His desire is to have a personal, intimate, and, 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 and real relationship with you. And so your first approach shouldn't be, I don't know what to do. Just speak out to him because he wants to engage with you. In nature, he's showing you different ways that he wants to, to wake up that wonder like, man, what is that? Why did he create this? Why do I have an appendix? I don't know. It's just for pain and illness. I don't, it used to serve a purpose. I don't know. But in all of this incredible way of creating things and making these, these, these fantastic things and then making us the pinnacle, we somehow rejected God's love. In rebellion, Adam and Eve rejected God's love. And I can say on a daily basis, in some way, shape, or form, I reject God's love. I say no to God's approach. I say, God, I appreciate you wanting me to do that, and that's cool. I'll get to that later. Right now, I got to do this, God. I, you know what, Lord? I'll, I'll be right back. I just got to 
really just throw up this quick tweet because it's, it's fire. I don't have a Twitter account. I don't know if that's the right lingo. Is that good? Cool. And so when we're distracted, when we're rejecting God's approach or God's love, right, Prayer is the way to restore that intimacy. Prayer is the way to reconnect with God. Whether it's messy, whether it's clean, whether you have a, a form written prayer, or you just, you just cry out to God and say, God, I, I, I want to I hear what you have to say to me. Speak to me. God, you are holy. You are worthy. You are, I don't even understand. I don't even have a word to describe you. But I know you're there, and I want to communicate with you. I want that relationship with you. That's our way to connect back to God, to restore what was broken. Prayer is the means by which we reconnect our relationship with God. The second point is prayer is a dialogue, not a monologue. So a monologue is kind of like what I'm doing right now. I'm talking. Nobody's talking back. I'm not really listening to what you're saying. I'm listening to what God's saying, and I'm talking to you. This is kind of like a monologue, right? A dialogue involves two people. I tell this to Theo and Shiloh and say, look, if we're going to talk, you have to shut your mouth for a second so I can, I can talk to you. And I'll listen, and then and you talk, and I'll listen, and that's how it works, right? Amen. A dialogue involves two people. Amen to that. Two people. And, and a good example of this, um, one of my favorite characters in Scripture, a good example of, of how we're to dialogue with God is Daniel. Um, and, and Daniel is an incredible character, right? Daniel had this life in which they, his, his whole people, they were exiled. They were removed from where they, they used to live. They were put into another kingdom, went through several kings. All kinds of different things happened. But Daniel stands out because his, his faith is firm and steadfast throughout everything. And you see God using Daniel's life to do incredible things. He sees visions. He dreams dreams. He interprets dreams of People who they haven't even told him the dream yet. And he interprets it anyway because he's been listening to God and God has given that to him. And so Daniel spends his entire life fostering a relationship with God of listening and speaking. Listening and speaking and responding. And so the passage we're going to turn to, Daniel 6, 10. And where, where we are in this, in this passage, Daniel has been doing this. He's been listening to God. He's been responding to God. He's been doing things, incredible things, because he's fostered a relationship of prayer. And he's at this point where people now are jealous of him, right? People now, they see what's happening, and they see that, that he's doing these incredible things, and he's in the king's favor. And so what they want is they want to get rid of him because they want what he's got, right? And so these guys, they devise a plan. They say, look, we're going to get rid of Daniel. So we can't really get him on these other things. We can't get him on his character. We can't get him on, um, you know, on, on con- conspiracy or, or corruption. Let's get him on his religious beliefs. Let's get him on his devotional beliefs. And they say, you know what? We're going to go to the king and say, king, we think you are so great. You are so powerful. You are so mighty that nobody should worship anybody but you. And the king's like, well, you know what? That, I am pretty great. Fairly powerful. Um, that sounds pretty good. Let's make that happen. So he signs this law into into in, he signs this law, uh, and and so they, they they go out and they want to spy on Daniel to see what he does. Right? They say nobody can bow down, nobody can worship anybody but you, King. 
It says Daniel 6.10, but when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home, and this is key, he knelt down as usual in his upstairs room. With its window open towards Jerusalem, he prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. Then the officials went together to Daniel's house and found him praying and asking for God's help. And if you read the rest of the story, we're not going to get into it, but they find him, they tie him up, they take him, and they say, King, he broke your law, gets put in the lion's den, and then some more crazy stuff happens because Daniel, again, has fostered a relationship of prayer with the Father. But the point in this passage is that Daniel fostered a life of constant communication with God. I'm going to stop right there because I think when we hear that, we get a little bit intimidated. And we start to think, man, I don't know if I can talk to God like all the time. I mean, I can set aside. Like 10 minutes is cool. I can do it in the morning before I go to work. And then like, you know, after work I have to eat. Uh, I got to work out. Then I have like an hour of my free time. Maybe I can plug that in there, but all the time. And Richard Foster, one of my favorite authors, he said, if you want to get to the point, this is a paraphrase, if you want to get to the point where you are, you are ready for whatever God has for you in whatever moment, you start with the everyday. You start with the prayers at breakfast. You start when you're mowing your lawn, just talking to God. God, what do you have for me right now? You start when you're brushing your teeth. God, what do you have for me today? You start when you're at work and you're doing whatever you're doing at work and you get a moment of just, I got to breathe. God, how do you want me to approach the rest of this day? You start when you're taking care of your kids and your kids are running around like crazy and you are up to here with whatever they're saying because you don't even hear it anymore. It's just noise. And you're like, God, how do you want me to not destroy my children right now? You start in the small and mundane and normal everyday life things. And as you develop that discipline, as you make that a habit, it becomes a part of who you are. You ingrain it to everything you do. Before any decision, you go, you know what? I got to go to God. Before any major decision, before any minor decision, you say, I got to approach God. What does God want me to do with this? How does God want me to respond to this? And so when you're feeling, if you're feeling like, man, this is a little, I don't know how to approach God constantly like Daniel you got to start with the everyday. Just start bringing him into whatever you're doing in small ways. It doesn't have to be massive. It doesn't have to be kneeling down and, and, and facing a certain direction. You're just inviting him into whatever's happening in your life. Now, some of us, we probably have seen this kind of prayer. Um, Luke 18, 11 to 12. I'm going to go there real quick. So a dialogue involves two people. You're talking to God. God's talking to you. You're listening. You're responding. Monologue, which is probably what most of us do um, on any given basis, including myself. It's one person speaking without any care whether somebody's listening or not. In Luke 18, 11 to 12, Jesus has this encounter with this, um, you know, about this Pharisee. And he says this Pharisee prayed in this way. And he says, the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I'm not like these other people, like the tax collector, like these cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I fast twice a week, and I give you a tenth of my income. Now, in that prayer, the only thing that the Pharisee focused on was what? His own accomplishments, what he did, how he's not like that. I can just imagine him praying. Just think, he comes in there, and he's just like, Jesus, 
Lord, thank you that I'm not like that sinner right there. I know you. I saw what you did. That adulterer, I see you on the corner. Yep, yep. Like this cheater on his taxes, and especially that tax collector calling him out by Like I just imagine like that like emphasis because he wants people to know that he is better than this other person. He wants people to recognize what he's saying, right? It's about him. He's so consumed with his own righteousness that he doesn't really care to stop and listen to what God may have to say. How many of us stop to actually listen when we pray to God's response? How many of us, when we ask for something, just kind of move on by or or just say, okay, I hope that happens? Or do you actually sit there and and, and say, now, Lord, speak to me about this? Maybe God changes your heart about your prayer. Maybe your prayer is the wrong prayer. Maybe you're asking for the wrong thing and God says, you know, that's not what I want for you. Pray this instead. When you stop and actually listen to God's response, then he'll show you, he'll guide you on how to proceed. All right, lastly here, prayer changes our perspective. This is the last point. As I was, um, as I was going through and I was, I was studying this and reading a little bit, I came across George Washington Carver. Who knows who George Washington Carver is? All right, okay, he what? He made peanut butter, yes. And that stood out to me because I love peanut butter. Like every morning when Sam's Club has these cinnamon raisin English muffins, which they didn't this week, curse them. <laughs> every morning, I make my toast of cinnamon raisin English muffin, scoop some peanut butter, and I lather it on, and it oozes, eat it, and I get it on my, and it's like, oh, man, I got to go clean myself up, right? But that peanut butter was George Washington Carver's invention, his creation. And I started thinking about what made him come up with peanut butter. Like, what? Who thinks I'm going to make some butter out of a peanut? Like, where did that come from? But George Washington's Carver's story is really incredible, actually. So he's a, he was an orphaned slave. He was born into slavery, 1864. Uh, he was raised by his masters, his parents' masters or his masters, was taught to read and write, went to college, got a master's degree in science from Iowa State. He taught at Tuskegee Institute, one of the, the major HBCUs, uh, you know, in our country. Um, and then he came on the scene, and all of a sudden, he was a, a, an absolute expert in botany and, and agriculture. He was getting people asking him, like Henry Ford, the famous inventor. They wanted to know, like, what, how are you doing? How are you doing what you're doing? Mahatma Gandhi sought his advice. Uh, he had people like Thomas Edison seeking his advice. This guy became an absolute expert from the kind of upbringing that he had. And so it made me think about, like, how did he get to that point? How did he get to the point where he is referred to as the black Leonardo da Vinci? And they interviewed him later on in life, and they said, you know, how did you decide upon the peanut? And, and he made some other incredible inventions, too. And he said, I saturated my life with prayer. He said, I was taught from an early age that prayer gives you direction. And so he started at an early age praying for direction. And he, he said, He's quoted as saying, you know, I went out and I asked God. I said, God, actually he called God Mr. Creator. He said, Mr. Creator, which I love. I might start using that. Mr. Creator, show me the secrets of the universe. And he said he heard back, that question's too big for you. Ask a different one. So he scaled it down. He said, Mr. Creator, show me the questions of the world. Show me the, 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 the secrets of the world. He said, that question's too big for you. Scale it down. He came back. He said, okay, Mr. Creator. 
show me the secrets of the peanut. I love that. Like, he's like, all right, you know what? You're going to go small. I'm going to go as small as I can think. Peanut. Like, show me something. Then I'll know you're real. Like, show me the peanut. Out of that prayer came 300 different uses for the peanut. 300. How do you get 300 uses out of a nut? That's nuts. Oh, Nate. Nate. Killing me. All right. Oh, you're going to come up with an acronym for that. I know you are. And beyond the peanut, he came up with 150 different uses for a sweet potato. And beyond that, a whole bunch of other innovations that happened because he said he saturated whatever he did with prayer. He said he started off each day and he said, reveal to me the secrets about this plant or this vegetable. And he would sit and he would listen and then he would get to work. I mean, it wasn't just like it popped into his mind. I mean, he prayed, he listened. And then he went about his work, and God would reveal things to him as he went. He'd reveal different uses and different needs that were there. If you're not understanding what I'm saying in this, it's that God spoke to whoever raised George Washington Carver and told him, hey, I want you to teach this child about the power of prayer. I want you to teach this child about how they can depend on me. And he grew up as a man who did these incredible things because he saturated his everyday life with prayer. Whatever you're into, whatever you're doing, whatever you feel like your purpose is in your life, if you don't know what your purpose is in life, if you don't know what God wants you to do, the first thing I can tell you is that you need to approach God with humility. You need to approach God with openness and honesty and say, God, show me about myself. God, who are you? Let me know more about you so that I can know more about myself. Let me know more about you so I can know more about what I'm supposed to do. Let me know more about you so that I can be useful to my family, my friends, my enemies. So the question I would want to ask here is, how can your prayers seek God's will in whatever situation that is that you're in? Whether you are student, nurse, there's other professions out there, I know. I can only think of my own. I don't know. It says something about me. Teacher, musician, whatever you're into, whatever you're doing, how can you seek God's will in that situation? And then secondly, where in your life do you need to experience God's creativity? Like, Where can you say, God, show me the secrets of this? God, reveal to me what you want me to know about this. So the practical aspects, because we, we can't finish off any message without getting practical. You got to have some steps to go into right? Some of this may mean, as you think about how to ingrain prayer into your everyday life, how to make this discipline a part of who you are, it may mean you you restructure some of your life. You restructure some of your time. Restructure some of your social media use. You restructure some of your TV time or even sleep. Ah, I know. I'm getting a lot of, I'm getting a lot of like spiritual pushback from that one. You may have to give up like a little bit of your sleep to just begin to establish habits of prayer. If you look at any of the the, the major figures in the Bible, their lives were continually going to God, going to God, learning about God, seeing about God, talking to God. And, And they were patient. 
I know you read it in the scripture and it's like boom, boom, but most of these things happen like decades, like years. You might say a prayer and it might not get answered for 20 years, just being real. You got to be patient with that. Like God wants to work in his timing. So some of you, maybe you experience, who, who likes being out in nature? Who likes seeing, oh, cool, more people than, okay. So some of you, maybe you experience God through nature. Like George Washington Carver, you experience God through nature. What does that practically mean for you in this situation? Well, if you experience God through nature by seeing nature and, and, and saying, man, something is awesome about nature. It makes me think of God in nature. Well, then you need to make time in your day for some sort of nature. You might be in the concrete jungle. You might be here in the city where it's like, I don't see trees. Like, I, I just don't see them. Well, maybe you, you need to find some sort of way of experiencing God through nature, whether it's, it's, it's sounds through your earphones, whether it's, it's seeing something where you, you, you experience nature on your phone even, using your technology advice. I'm like, man, I just learned something incredible about nature. Life, those life videos, man, my kid loves those. Those are amazing. Like, they reveal all kinds of crazy stuff about nature, and you just sit back and go, I can't believe God did that. That's amazing. Take 10 minutes a day this week and just, and just sit in the presence of God in nature and say, our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come. May your will be done today. And just listen. Listen. Maybe you don't care about nature. Maybe global warming is just like pfft, nature, nature. <laughs> right? Maybe you experience God more through reading books literature, other people's writings. Well, then you need to take aside 10 minutes this week each day. 10 minutes is not a long time, but just start with something. 10 minutes this week to read a passage from someone who is glorifying God through their writing. Or 10 minutes to listen to a podcast from someone who is glorifying God with their speaking. And as you listen, you, you, you sit still and you say, God, speak to me about how I'm supposed to use this. Speak to me about how I'm supposed to go forward with this. And if neither one of those resonates with you at all, just start with the everyday. Your prayer life can be as simple as washing your dishes, waking up in the morning, doing your mundane everyday tasks, and you build up and you figure out how God speaks to you most clearly. But the important part of this, the important thing to take away from this is that as believers, if you believe in Jesus Christ and you think that God wants you to have a purpose in this life, then you will make a discipline and a habit out of approaching him with humility, approaching him and asking him to, to speak to you, learning about him and glorifying him and thanking him. But you make a habit out of it because if you don't make a habit or a practice out of it, then when things get difficult in your life, or when things start to veer off course in your life, you won't know where to go. It will all of a sudden become real shaky. Your faith all of a sudden will become shaky, unstable. But if you make a habit out of it, just like Daniel, whatever the circumstance, adversity may, may come, you'll know exactly where to go and who to go to. And your, your answer will be clear. You'll be guided without doubt. That's where, I'm going. That's, where I'm, that's where I'm hoping for. I'm no expert by any means. 
but I'm in that process. I'm learning about it. So what we're going to do here in a little bit is we're going to have a time of response. Uh, And what I want you to do is just think about how is it that you can establish a lifestyle of prayer, a habit of prayer, where you are and what you're doing. How does God speak to you best? How do you receive what God's got to say to you? And then put that into habit this week. Put that into practice this week.